0: Chapter 9 of Exotics and Retrospectives. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jen Mitchell. Exotics and Retrospectives by Lafcadio Hearn. Sadness in Beauty. The poet who sang that beautiful things bring sadness. Named as beautiful things, music and sunset and night, clear skies and transparent waters. Their sadness, he sought to explain, by vague soul memories of paradise. Very old-fashioned, this explanation, but it contains a shadowing of truth. For the mysterious sadness associated with the sense of beauty, Is certainly not of this existence, but of countless anterior lives, and therefore indeed a sadness of reminiscence. Elsewhere I try to explain why certain qualities of music and certain aspects of sunset produce sadness, and even more than sadness. As for impressions of night, however, I doubt if the emotion that night evokes in this nineteenth century can be classed with the sadness that beauty brings. A wonderful night, a tropical night for instance, lucent and lukewarm with a new moon in it, curved in yellow like a ripe banana, may inspire among other minor feelings something of tenderness. But the great dominant emotion evoked by the splendor of the vision is not sadness. Breaking open the heavens to their highest night widens modern thought over the bounds of life and death by the spectacle of that infinite whose veil is day. Night also forces remembrance of the mystery of our tether, the viewless force that holds us down to this wretched little ball of a world, and the result is cosmic emotion vaster than any sense of the sublime, drowning all other emotion, but nowise wise akin to the sadness that beauty causes. Anciently the emotion of night must have been incomparably less voluminous. Men who believed the sky to be a solid vault never could have felt, as we feel it, the stupendous pomp of darkness, and our ever-growing admiration of those awful astral questions in the book of Job, is mainly due to the fact that with the progress of science they continue to make larger and larger appeal to forms of thought and feeling, which never could have entered into the mind of Job. But the sadness excited by the beauty of a perfect day, or by the charm of nature in her brightest moods, is a fact of another kind, and needs a different explanation. Inherited the feeling must be, but through what accumulation of ancestral pain? Why should the tenderness of an unclouded sky, the soft green sleep of summered valleys, the murmurous peace of sun-flecked shadows, inspire us with sadness? Why should any inherited emotion, following an aesthetic perception, be melancholy rather than joyous? Of course I do not refer to the sense of vastness, or permanence, or power aroused by the sight of the sea, or by any vision of sea-like space, or by the majesty of colossal ranges. That is the feeling of the sublime, always related to fear. Aesthetic sadness is related, rather, to desire. All beautiful things bring sadness, is a statement as near to truth as most general statements, but the sadness and its evolutional history must vary according to circumstances. The melancholy awakened by the sight of a beautiful face cannot be identical with that awakened by the sight of a landscape, by the hearing of music, or by the reading of a poem. Yet there should be some one emotional element common to aesthetic sadness, one general kind of feeling which would help us to solve the riddle of the melancholy inspired by the sight of beauty in nature. Such a common element, I believe, is inherited longing, inherited dim sense of loss, shadowed and qualified variously by interrelated feelings different forms of this inheritance would be awakened by different impressions of the beautiful. In the case of human beauty, the aesthetic recognition might be toned or shadowed by immemorial inheritance of pain, pain of longing, and pain of separation, from numberless forgotten beloved. In the case of a color, a melody, an effect of sunshine or of moonlight, the sense impressions appealing to aesthetic feeling might equally appeal to various ancestral memories of pain the melancholy given by the sight of the beautiful landscape is certainly a melancholy of longing a sadness massive as vague because made by the experience of millions of our dead the aesthetic feeling for nature in its purity declares sully is a modern growth the feeling for nature's wild solitudes is hardly older than Rousseau. Perhaps to many this will seem rather a strong statement in regard to the races of the West. It is not true of the races of the Far East, whose art and poetry yield ancient proof to the contrary. But no evolutionist would deny that the aesthetic love of nature has been developed through civilization and that many abstract sentiments now involved with it are of very recent origin much of the sadness made in us by the sight of a beautiful landscape would therefore be of comparatively modern growth though less modern than some of the higher qualities of aesthetic pleasure which accompanied the emotion i surmise it to be mainly the inherited pain of that separation from nature which began with the building of walled cities perhaps there is blended with it something of an incomparably older sorrow such as the immemorial mourning of man for the death of summer but this and other feelings inherited from ages of wandering would revive more especially in the great vague melancholy that autumn brings into what we still call our souls ever as the world increasing its wisdom increases its sorrow Our dwellers in cities built up to heaven more and more regret the joys of humanity's childhood, the ancient freedom of forest and peak and plain, the brightness of mountain water, the cool, keen sweetness of the sea's breath, and the thunder-roll of its eternal epic. And all this regret of civilization for nature, irretrievably forsaken, may somehow revive in that great, dim sadness which the beauty of a landscape makes us feel. In one sense we are certainly wrong when we say that the loveliness of a scene brings tears to the eyes. It cannot be the loveliness of the scene. It is the longing of generations, quickening in the hearts of us. The beauty we speak of has no real existence. THE EMOTION OF THE DEAD ALONE MAKES IT SEEM TO BE, THE EMOTION OF THOSE long buried MILLIONS OF MEN AND WOMEN WHO LOVED NATURE FOR REASONS VERY MUCH SIMPLER AND OLDER THAN ANY AESTHETIC EMOTION IS. TO THE WINDOWS OF THE HOUSE OF LIFE THEIR PHANTOMS CROWD, LIKE PRISONERS TOWARDS SOME VISION OF BRIGHT SKIES AND FLYING BIRDS, FREE HILLS AND GLIMMERING STREAMS beyond the iron of their bars. They behold their desire of other time, the vast light and space of the world, the windswept clearness of azure, the hundred greens of wold and plain, the spectral promise of summits far away. They hear the shrilling and the whirr of happy-winged things, the chorus of cicada and bird, the lisping and laughing of water, the undertone of leafage astir. They know the smell of the season, all the sharp sweet odors of sap, scents of flower and fruitage. They feel the quickening of the living air, the thrilling of the great blue ghost. But all this comes to them filtered through the bars and veils of their rebirth, only as dreams of home to hopeless exile. Of childless to desolate age, of remembered vision to the blind. End of chapter nine. Recording by Jen Mitchell.